Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon here with you to share another author interview as well as a few new releases. And when I say a few, this time I do literally mean a few. Um, the offerings were not plentiful this week, but I do have a couple of things that I think are worth sharing. But first, I am super excited for you to hear an interview that I did early in the summer with author Lynn Liao Butler, who wrote a fantastic novel called A Tiger Mom's Tale. So definitely stay tuned for that, and then we will talk about new releases. But before any of that can happen, we have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am talking with author Lynn Liao Butler, about her novel, The Tiger Mom's Tale, which is coming out in the US at the time of recording on July 6th. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I would like to start off with a brief introduction to The Tiger Mom's Tale so that listeners can have a little bit of an idea what to expect. Okay, um, so The Tiger Mom's Tale is about a woman who is half Taiwanese and half white. Um, she grows up with her white family who is all blonde, and so she sticks out, and she is estranged from her Taiwanese father who lives in Taiwan. Um, she hasn't seen him since the summer she was 14 because of something that happened that summer. And um, it opens in present day. She's in her 30s now. Um, she's completely immersed in her American life and finds out that her strange father has died unexpectedly. And with his death, she is now like faced with the task of whether to return to Taiwan and reclaim her heritage and also save her family who will lose their um, home if she doesn't go back or to just ignore that part of her and just you know be completely immersed in her American life. Um, so it's really a story about reconciling the two parts of her, um, her two cultures and heritages and whether it makes her happy to ignore one side or she needs to address both sides in order to live her best life. Seeing this very often categorized as like women's fiction, um, I've seen people call it domestic fiction. I'm curious to know if, as you were writing it, if you sort of had an idea of where you wanted it to fall in terms of like people and, and what they enjoy reading and genre. 
Um, so the reason I became a writer is because of the author Leah Moriarty. Oh. Uh, I was I am obsessed with her. Like if I ever oh. met her in real life, I think I would fall down and just like pass out. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like you know embarrass myself. She I started reading her books in 2013. It was a very difficult year for me. I had like all this traumas like one oh. right after the other, and it was like literally I felt like my life had ended. And her books really picked me up and like made me realize that there are women out there experiencing the same kind of, you know, hardships and things with health and life and family. And they just kept me going during that period when like, I felt like everything fell apart. So I never wanted to write. I've been an avid reader. I never, never thought I would be a writer. I just, you know, I've never taken a writing course or done anything like that. And I just, when I pulled myself out of that, dark spot I started writing one day and it was just like you know little blog posts about my life that to keep my friends in New York City um, updated about what I was doing when I moved out of the city and then one day they just turned into a book I was like you know what if I can do what Leanne did for me for other people and maybe more of a diverse um, population like Asian Americans like myself or yes people who feel like they don't belong you know where they are then that's what I wanted to do so I basically kind of tailored it to her audience, which is, I guess, women's fiction, domestic fiction. Mm -hmm. um, she also is like domestic suspense. So like her, a lot, I have suspenseful elements in my books. Um, so I guess I didn't set out to write women's fiction. I just set out to do what she did. And it kind of turned into like, um, some people call it book club fiction, multicultural fiction. But I just wanted to reach people and be able to do for someone else what her books did for me. I think one of the most interesting things about women's fiction as a genre, like if we look just at that, is that like the basic definition of women's fiction is slightly ridiculous because right. it is books that are marketed toward women. <laughs> like if you look it up in like a, you know, like where, where people list like what different genres mean, right? like that's literally what it says. And so I think about this and I'm like, well, like then like romance technically would be women's fiction because romance is in so many ways marketed toward women. Um, like there's just this huge amount of books that whether it's conscious or, or unconscious, I think people market toward women or men or whoever. And right. so this whole idea that like women's fiction is, like this broad umbrella under which like so many things hang out. And I, I wish sometimes that we had like a better, a better way to define what people, like what people are writing. I mean, not that I think you need to necessarily stick a label on something, but if I want to recommend a book like a Leanne Moriarty book to someone and they say, what does she write? Um, like, yes, they have some thriller aspects to them. You know, there, there's that suspense. There's a lot of like interpersonal drama. Right. But I don't have a good like umbrella term to say like, oh, this is like this kind of book. I can say it's women's fiction. And hopefully people know kind of what that is and sort of like, you know, can have that gel for them. But if they don't, like, it's very, very hard to describe. Yeah. And also, I don't like that either because um, 
there are men who are reading my book and they were at first turned off because they're like, oh, it's women's fiction. So I don't need, I shouldn't read it. And I was like, oh, yes, you should. It's not, (laughs) no, that's not really. And I think that's why I don't like that term because um, I know what they were trying to do with it. Like they're saying it's about the women's journey to, you know, it's uh, driven by her. Yes. You know, journey. But it's at the same time, like I have men who have read my book and have loved it and said, you know, I, I didn't know I like women's fiction. I'm like, well, I think it's kind of a, kind of a mistaken genre. Like I think more like book club fiction, I think now they're starting to call it that and upmarket fiction um, where it's not as commercial because there's, you know, more drama and there's elements in there. Um, but yeah, so it is a controversial term, I think. <laughs> And yet, you know, when I'm looking for a way to describe certain things, it is often what I default to because I I don't know often, you know, what else I can say that will get sort of that point across. Like, this is what this book does. Um, I generally will think of like other authors who do a similar thing and say, well, you know, if you like Emily Richards or you know, Jennifer Weiner or whoever, like you might enjoy this. Um, but I, th- I think it's, it's difficult sometimes to put a label on something. And yet, like without a label, I sometimes feel like people flounder um, yeah, when they don't really know. Right. Yeah. So maybe we need to come up with a new term, right? <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Yes. Well, coin a new term. Well, they're, they're, you know, doing that periodically, I feel like, you know, people come up with with different things like the psychological thrillers that are moved, you know, primarily by women. Um, I've heard, you know, different things, uh, different titles for that type of thing. So maybe some of that more sort of general fiction geared toward women um, will eventually have a different term too. I I could, I could be here for that. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So when you decided then that you wanted to write and that you wanted to look, you know, at a more diverse cast of characters and to write for a more diverse audience, is that something that you struggled to find kind of a a publishing home for? Or did you find a a place that was pretty open and welcoming like quickly? Um, well, I had no idea what I was doing. I, st- I literally started writing this book 2015, January 1st, and it took me six months. I know I, you know, I never did not figure, you know, do any research on how to write. I just wrote it. And then without having a single person read it, I queried it. <laughs> I sent it out. So I basically oh. all the rules. They're like, you know, you should never send out a, a first draft. You should always have somebody read it. I didn't know this. And okay. so I carried it. And then I was like, why is how, you know, I was like, oh, it should be so easy to get an agent. And then I didn't get huh. any responses. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, maybe I need to f- figure out what's going on. So I started Googling, you know, how to get your book published. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm like breaking all the rules. I'm you know, supposed to have critique partners and I have people read it and, you know, hone my skill and then um, figure out who you're supposed to send it to and that it could take years. And I was like, what? Um, so I did everything wrong. And um, it took me a while. So I had to step back, find critique groups, um, set my workout, have people actually read it. And then I um, attended a New York City, like a conference and learned how to write a pitch, you know, how to write pitch letters to. Um, ah, yes. Yes. Um, and 
so I learned a lot and then I sent it out again and I actually got some interest from agents, but it didn't get picked up. And I'm not surprised because it was not, you know, I broke every rule of writing. I showed and not tell and just, it, you know, a lot of inf- information dumping. <laughs> and so, so I put it aside and decided to learn more and, you know, kept attending my critique meetings, started to research more about how to write a book. And I wrote a second book, which I really loved and got a lot of agent interest on that one, but ultimately it also didn't sell. And I was like, I, you know, didn't know. I don't think it was because I was diverse and whatever. I think it was just because I wasn't a good enough writer at that point um, to figure out how to craft a story. And so I put that aside and then went back to that first book. And I was like, which turned out to be the Tiger Mom's Tale. And I was like, I love the story, but there's something wrong with it. And I figured out how to, I changed the plot completely. I kept the same oh. characters, but it was, it's complete. It used to be called Fit Girls Don't Cry. And it was more about her Alexa. <laughs> I like journey. that title. <laughs> yeah, it was more about her journey as a personal trainer. And she does look for her father, but she never knew him. But it was more focused on her antics living in New York City and uh. dating rather than on her journey to find herself. And so I completely changed the plot and made it more focused on her trying to figure out who she is. And that ultimately I signed with my agent. And um, so it took like four years from the time I started writing that first draft to sign with an agent. Um, my agent is a huge um, support supporter of diverse uh, writers. She, her, her name is uh, Rachel Brooks from Bookends and she is a huge champion. Like she's trying to get us out there. So I feel, I haven't felt like um, I've had a lot of door slam on stage. I feel like she's really helped me a lot and just you know her support to know that she is there is just means a lot so it's been great I feel like we hear you know so often um about publishing being a primarily white space Mm -hmm. and as a white woman who is you know not not diverse in that way but is diverse in terms of like disability and sexual orientation you know I, I see sort of some of those barriers but as a white woman, it never really occurred to me until it sort of, you know, was put out there until people were really saying like, hey, it's not only white people who write good books, you know, where are the books with all these other voices? And the more I started to think about that, the more I realized that like primarily the authors that get, you know, the big pushes right. are, are white authors. And then I started looking at like, you know, are, are they straight authors? Probably. Are they able-bodied authors? Probably. Right. And exactly. I realized that there's sort of this monolith of like, there's just the type of person that is supposed to publish a book. And then all the rest are just sort of like out there. And I love now that so many people are trying to change that and come forward in a way that, you know, can hopefully broaden that whole horizon for people and tell different stories and let people know that like, yes, there are other people in the world. And so I love that with Tiger Mom's Tale, you were able to kind of connect with a variety of readers. Like it doesn't have to be white people who read this. It doesn't necessarily have to be just Asian people who read this. It doesn't have to be just women who read this. Right. Yeah. And I'm hoping that um, it's, my book is, you know, from the Taiwanese American perspective, and I'm hoping because there really are not that many books written from the Taiwanese perspective. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting that, and people don't even know sometimes when I say I'm from Taiwan, they're like, oh, I love Thai food. 
And I'm like, no, I'm not from Thailand. I'm from Taiwan. It's a completely different country. And right. And so, people won't know that necessarily. And they don't know that. And I don't blame them. I mean, you know, they, they, this, that's the world they grew up in. So if there's more books out there with different perspectives, different, you know, um, cultures, different people, I think it'll help educate, you know, America in general that, hey, this is not, you know, America's made up of all different types of people and their voices need to be heard and to be more typical so that other people of that same, whatever type of person that is, can see themselves in other books. And then other people who don't know about that can learn more about it and see like, you know what, these are all people. Right. We see it, you know, with disability that like you right. don't usually see accurate representations. Like I really hate books about blind people. Right. Because they're usually not great depictions of like what life as a blind person is you know it's like oh I must have like superpowers or (laughs) I am the most helpless you know dependent person ever and I can't you know walk 19 steps in my house right (laughs) without like face planting in the middle of the floor um and so yes I think the more people with varied life experiences that you know tell their stories to the world um, whether they do that in terms of fiction or you know memoir whatever I feel like the more we learn about people um, the better we are as as humans and books books can do that I think in a way that is is engaging Mm -hmm. and in some ways easier and a little bit less threatening than sometimes just like confronting right someone on their you know, less than stellar opinions. Right. And, and I also think that there needs to be more representation from each group because, yes. because there's within each group, like they say, Taiwanese Americans, I have my own perspective. I was right. in Taiwan and moved here when I was seven. So my Mandarin and Taiwanese are very awkward. Like it's like a seven-year-old's Mandarin. And um, because there's not that much Taiwanese representation out there, it's almost like falls in my lap to represent all and the right, fun you can't. Yeah. And I actually, um, my, it seems like my harshest critics so far have been other Taiwanese American women or Asian Americans who don't see themselves in my stories. And, ah. Or, you know, said, this is not representation of this culture and which they, it's, it's true because this is my perspective. Right. So I think there needs to be more out there so that they can see themselves in other things and that, you know, realize that my perspective does not represent all of Taiwanese American people, if that makes sense. It does. I spoke with um, author Jesse Q. Sutanto several, yes, like Mm -hmm. um, a couple of months ago. And we talked a lot about language and how she really wanted to show that like, even though her like characters who were born in Asia, like their English wasn't necessarily perfect. Right. Her main character who you know, was born in America, right? Like her, her grasp of her native language of her, her family's native language, like was also not fantastic. And so she talked about, you know, you learn language like based on where you are, based on what you're exposed to and, you know, not being able to speak English in the way that like Americans think that people should, right. you know, doesn't make you less intelligent. It means that you struggle with a language that you weren't born to exactly and i in my second book um uh it's called red thread of fate it's coming out in february like seven months later (gasps) i 
my um, the main character's mother speaks in broken English. And one of my critique groups was like, you, I don't think you should have her speaking broken English because that's like stereotypical and it could be like demeaning to her. And I was like, well, uh-huh. but that's how they speak. That's how my mother. Right, that's how. And that's the, right. And I was like, I'm not changing it because this is a representation of how it is for people who, you know, came here in their 30s and never learned right. English um, until they're 30. And they do the best they can. And I and it doesn't mean that they're any less educated or anything. And so I, like Jesse, wanted to keep that in and just to let people know that this is how, you know, it really does. These This is how people speak. And I'm used to it because all my, a lot of people that I, you know, grew up with didn't come here until they were in their 30s. So the, you know, the adults that I came over with and um, that's what I, you know, was used to. I think we have such a dim view of like the way that people speak and like if you don't speak a certain way then you must not be intelligent and I think that's that's just not that's not correct right and I mean when I go to (laughs) go back to Taiwan they people laugh at my Mandarin and my um Taiwanese my Taiwanese is actually better than my Mandarin but they laugh at my Mandarin because I get words mixed up and I Say oh. that don't mean what they're supposed to say. Yes. And yes. then they also like they say I speak like a seven-year-old. So. Well, I suppose, you know, perhaps you do because if you like we're not living right <laughs> in Taiwan, you know, for for years, like your language isn't going to evolve, I wouldn't think, in the right. same way. Exactly. Like I have a seven-year-old's grasp of Mandarin. <laughs> One of um, my co-presenters here is um, Ecuadorian and Dominican. And she just had her first child. And so she's raising him to speak both English and Spanish. And so like, it's really interesting, you know, she'll talk to him and she'll be speaking English. And then all of a sudden, like it's Spanish and he will grow up, you know, knowing both of those languages fluently in a way that a lot of people, you know, don't because like he's born here with a mother who was also you know, born here, mm-hmm. but with a really strong connection to her heritage who wants you know, him to know both, both of her languages. I think that's great. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's different for someone who comes, you know, later. Right. Exactly. I have, um, I have an, we have an eight-year-old and my husband is white um, and the eight-year-old is, can speak, I mean, he speaks English primarily, but he still understands Mandarin and he apparently understands Taiwanese. We didn't realize my mom oh. and I were talking, we were talking about him in Taiwanese. And then he answered us in Mandarin, like, hey, I understand you. Huh. <laughs> like, uh oh. <laughs> so now he under actually understands Taiwanese. He'll answer us in English or Mandarin, but. Um, right, but he understands what he you're understands. saying. So, yeah, so we want to keep that up. So, my mom speaks to him in Mandarin. My dad speaks to him in Taiwanese. I speak to him in a mixture of English and Mandarin. And my husband speaks to him in English. So we're hoping to keep that going. Oh, my goodness. So you mentioned that you have a second book coming out, like, in the beginning of 2022. And this makes me very, very happy. Is there anything that you can kind of tell listeners about, like, what kind of book that is? Yeah, so my second book, Red Thread of Fate, is actually um, on the schedule to come out February 8th of 2022, um, which is only seven, seven months after The Tiger Mom. 
And I think it's because the Tiger Mom's Tale was originally supposed to come out earlier, um, but it got pushed back because of the pandemic. I was just going to ask you if he yeah. got pushed in that whole like I pandemic. I got around a lot and it got yeah. pushed back, not just because of the pandemic, but also the anti-Asian sentiment that was in. Um, oh. So last year they pushed it back because they didn't want me to debut. Like they said, if I wasn't a debut, it wouldn't have been as... Um, I guess a big deal, but they didn't want me to debut at a time when there was so much anti-Asian sentiments and which I understand at the same time, I was like, well, maybe we should have me, you know, in their face, but, um, but anyway, so really bad that like, that's a thing people have to consider that like, oh, this book shouldn't be published because right. You know, people have ridiculous views right now. Right. And it wasn't because of the, um, that we were pandering to me. It was more like they wanted to launch in a climate that was more favorable to do well of um, course so it was in the best interest of the book and in a way I'm kind of glad I got pushed all the way to July because even though we're still in a pandemic um, I feel like where people are coming out of it so I am I do get to do a live launch event um, it's not affiliated with Penguin Random House because they're not endorsing um, in-person events yet until I think at least the fall okay. but I am able to do a big launch event in person and see people and hopefully you know be able to see my book out there so it's not as bad. Um, and then because of that, I guess they wanted my second book to come out, r- r- I guess, right away, which I guess in a way is good. Um, but that second book is very close to my heart. It's um, about a woman, a Taiwanese woman who's married to a mainland Chinese man. Um, and if you don't know anything about it, that's a big deal. Like mainland China and Taiwan, you know, have that conflict. Um, and they're about to adopt a child from a Chinese orphanage. And then the husband and his estranged cousin are killed in an accident. And she is left to decide if she's going to go back to China and adopt this child by herself. And she also finds out she was named the guardian for the cousin's five-year-old daughter. So suddenly she's a single mom of two children, possibly. Um, so it's about the, the red thread of fate that binds like the husband to the wife and the, um, cousin to her daughter and, the main character to the two children that she's ultimately given responsibility of. Um, so it's really, our, our son was adopted from a Chinese orphanage. And so a lot of it is based on our journey. And, you know, you just kind of get a glimpse of that, the Chinese Taiwanese um, balance and just the whole journey of how to make a family who is not bloodborne. So if this was available and if I could read it right now, I believe I would do that because <laughs> it like there are just certain things I feel like, you know, people like talk about books that they have coming and I'm like, oh, like that, that's good. You know, I'll, I'll definitely pick that up. And then there are other things that people talk about and I'm like, oh, like right now, please. <laughs> like, is it time yet? <laughs> Sadly, it, it's not time yet, but it, it will be. Um, it's actually very soon yeah because we're um I think I'm gonna have to start asking for blurbs soon from um authors and it's um it's gonna be up I mean it's already up for pre-order and um you know I already revealed the type the cover which is strange okay you know the first book hasn't even come out so come out and yeah (laughs) well I will definitely be keeping an eye out for it um I think like advanced copies kind of make my life like extra special yeah, they're so I'll have to look. I think at the um in uh, July, like the end of July or something. So that would make sense to me, given like the like the time frame. I, right. I would suppose like July, like beginning of August. Right. Um, we should start seeing them. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for such a lovely and insightful conversation, not just about your book, but sort of just about culture and, and language and your, your publishing journey in general. Yeah, thank you so much. I've, it's been such a great talk, actually. It's really, I could talk to you for, you know, hours, I guess. <laughs> well, you could, but I don't think anyone would really want to listen to that. Right. Um, you know, people would be like, okay, like this, this is good, but like enough. <laughs> Aside from the podcast, you as a person have been very nice to talk to. So. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Before I let you dash off, can you let <laughs> listeners know um, the best place to find you online? Oh, um, I am mostly on, I guess, Instagram and Twitter, and it's all Lynn Leal Butler. Um, that's my handle on everything. Um, and my website is also lynnlealbutler.com. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so new books. The first few that I'm going to tell you about are books that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated releases of October episode. So Brooke is very excited about the new Jennifer L. Armentrout novel. This is A Shadow in the Ember, Flesh and Fire, book one. And this is a spinoff of another series that she has been working on. So definitely um, keep an eye out for this one, but pay attention to the reading order so that you don't get spoilers if you don't want them. Kristen is looking forward to some historical fiction. This is Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan, and this will appeal to you if you love The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. And Sarah is very excited for the new Jen DeLuca book, and I really need to give these a try because I love Renaissance fairs. So this is Well Matched, Well Met, number three by Jen DeLuca. And now I have a handful of books that are coming out that we haven't talked about before. I didn't really group them in any specific way because there just weren't enough of them to do that with. So I'm going to start with Femlandia by Christina Dolger. And this is a little bit sci-fi, a little bit dystopian um, about a matriarchal seeming society where resources are very, very limited. Again, this is Femlandia by Christina Dolger. We also have City of Shattered Light by Claire Wynne. And this looks like a fantasy romance. It is about an outlaw and an heiress who are working together as the world is on the verge of collapsing and will they continue to work together or will they separate realizing that it's better to fend for themselves that is city of shattered light and it is by claire win we then have heavy metal symphony by Alyssa palombo and this one really intrigued me because palombo has written historical fiction up until now but here she is with kind of a contemporary romance, maybe some women's fiction. It's hard to tell from the blurb. But this is about a heavy metal band 
And it is falling apart because two of its key players were once romantically involved, and now that relationship is faltering. So in order to save the band, are these people going to be able to get back together, or can they find another way to work this out? This is Heavy Metal Symphony by Alyssa Palumbo. We also have Our Way Back to Always by Nina Moreno. This is a young adult romance. And if you like um, like Jenny Han or Morgan Matson, then this might be a good pick for you. This is about childhood best friends who have finally decided that they are ready to take a chance on something more. But how will that sort of change their friendship? And will it deepen it into something better or will it ruin it? So this is Our Way Back to Always by Nina Moreno. And we have some historical fiction. The Last Checkmate by Gabriella Saab is coming out this week. And this is set in a concentration camp um, a woman who is working as part of the Polish resistance has been captured and is playing chess with a Nazi official in hopes of winning and being able to bargain for her life. I'm not exactly sure how this works. Like, how do you enter into such a bargain if you win? Like, I'm not sure. But I think we see a lot of books about the Holocaust and not all of them deal with life you know, in the concentration camps. And I think that's something that people really need to know more about. So this is The Last Checkmate by Gabriella Saab. And I am rounding out today's offerings with some more historical fiction. This is The Hidden Child by Louise Fine. And this takes a look at the eugenics movement and how that plays into the whole like Nazi rhetoric. So we are following a family who have a young daughter and this girl develops epileptic seizures. And this worries her mother quite a bit because she's not considered perfect. And, you know, will she be someone that Hitler wants to exterminate? So this is The Hidden Child by Louise Fine. And that, my friends, really is it this week. As I said, the offerings were not plentiful. Next week does look quite a bit better. So if you weren't satisfied with what I had to tell you about for this week, hang on till next week and hopefully that will work better for you. Until then, I hope all of you are staying well and finding lots of fabulous things to read, whether or not they were released this week. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.